Well, good morning, church. I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I see a lot of new faces. My name is Adrian Castillo. I'm the pastor of our Spanish congregation, Grace in Español. And uh, we gather here at 9 a.m. every Sunday before you guys. So they, they, they get the, the hard task of being here early in the morning. But, but uh, it's been awesome and it's been great to see what God is doing in our Spanish community. However, today I'm excited because I get an opportunity to continue walking through the book of Ephesians with you guys. And I don't know about you, but for me, um, Ephesians has been a life changing book for me. I mean, it literally has. It's the book through which uh, years ago, around 2008, 2009, God changed my entire perspective on the gospel, taught me how to read the Bible verse by verse and word by word. And, uh, and so for that purpose and for that reason, I'm sorry, the book of Ephesians holds a very near and dear uh, part in my, in my heart or a place in my heart. And so I'm excited to continue to study. And uh, having read it a few times, I'll say this as well. Jumping into it even this, this time and through this study and through this series in Spanish, uh, I've been able to uh, grow even more, coming to understand a little bit better what the Apostle Paul was writing about. And if you've been here with us for the past few weeks, you know uh, the Apostle Paul has been walking us through unity, 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 unity. And I asked the Spanish congregation this morning, I said, how many of you guys are tired about hearing about unity? And uh, no one said anything. Everyone said, no, we are, we're liking this. So I was excited to hear that uh, because the reality is, church, that we're not going to stop talking about unity because this book is not going to stop talking about unity. What we're seeing through the book of Ephesians is that the Christian life exists within the body, within a community, within a church. And that body, that is the body of Christ Jesus, and we're all called to live within that. And so two things that we're going to learn today is this. We're going to learn a necessary attitude to be able to exist in unity. We're also going to learn um, the, the gifts that God gives us in order to walk in this unity. And the last thing, I'm sorry, I said two, but it's three. We're going to see the result of what happens when the church, the body of Christ, lives within this unity. So without taking up any more time, we, let's go ahead and jump into Ephesians chapter one, I mean chapter four, verses one through six. But before we do that, I do want to give you my first point of today, and that is this. It's because Jesus is building the church, I will exhibit virtues of unity in my living. Because Jesus is building the church, I will exhibit virtues of unity in my living. And the way that I've written this, this point is this. The very first part is the truth that Christ is the one that's building up his church, and we're still talking about that, so I'm not moving from that. The second thing you see is our responsibility and how we are to function and how we are to respond to the very work of Christ Jesus to build up the body. And that is that we are to exhibit virtues of unity in our living, in my living. So now let's go ahead and jump in. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and let's tease this out a little bit. And here's what Paul says. He says, I therefore, the word therefore just simply means for this reason, Paul, again, has been talking about the fact that the church is being built up through Christ Jesus for the purpose and the reason of the unity of the church. Um, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He goes on, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope and, uh, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Through all and in all. So let's tease this out. The word worthy here simply means to have value equal to position. Value equal to position. If we've been chosen by God, if we've been redeemed by Christ, if we've been united with the body which is the church, then we are called to walk in a manner that's equal to our position. And too many times in our lives, we can either get caught up in living in too much doctrine or, or uh, truth and not really practicing that. And if you had a, a scale of weight sitting before you, our, our, our study of doctrine and truth should be equal to the way we live. And too many times in our culture, this is out of balance. And it's out of balance because we're not walking in a manner that's worthy of our calling. I mean, you are a son and daughter chosen of God the Father to be a part of his family. You are someone who he sealed with his Holy Spirit, who's given to you at salvation, at the point of salvation as a guarantee. But not only that, we also know that Jesus Christ is bringing all men, and we're a part of that, all nations, all languages, all tongues, coming together to form one new creation, completely united in the very work and the redeeming work and reconciling work of Christ Jesus. And so for us, knowing this, knowing this truth, knowing this doctrine, now the Apostle Paul shifts his thinking or his writing here to our responsibility with this truth. And our responsibility is not to live in a manner of pride, not to live in a manner of selfishness, which is completely counterculture to what we live in today. Everything we do and everything we strive for and everything we are taught is you have to do for yourself, do for yourself, because no one else is going to do it. But when you come to the gospel, we don't do for ourselves because Christ has already done it. There's a difference. So now our job, responsibility, is to live it out. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, he, he says that the apostle beseeches and exhorts you always to give equal weight in your lives to doctrine and practice. They should not put all their weight on doctrine and nothing on practice. Not all the weight in practice or little, if any, in doctrine. Doing so produces an, in, an imbalance in our life and we become asymmetrical instead of symmetrical. He says that the Ephesians must work hard to see that the scales are perfectly balanced. And that is our challenge. So we open with that. Now let me give you three virtues. Three virtues in our living that could uh, bring about this type of unity or it continues this unity because it was brought about through Christ Jesus. And this is humility. First, he says that we should treat one another in humility. And this would mean to live amongst others without arrogance and counting others as more than ourselves. That's simply what it means. See, the opposite of humility is pride. The purpose of religion is to become prideful. The purpose of, to go of the gospel is to live in humility. Religion teaches us that we reach a certain point, we, we, are, we, we become certain people in that teaching, in that religion, because of how much we do. 
And so because of that, because of how much I know, because of how much I've done that's good, because of all of my service, I can stand here and I could look down on you because you're not doing enough. You're not doing as much as I am. But the gospel teaches us, church, that we are to live in humility. We can't look down on others because we are the others. We are the others. What I love about the gospel is that the Apostle Paul tells us in verses 4 through 5, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. And this one God did these things for you and me. If you look to your left and to your right, you're going to see people sitting in the sanctuary. If you look to your front, to your back, you'll see a bunch of different people. But here's what I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt. All of us got here the exact same way. We got here broken and in sin, but God changed our lives. And I can tell you one more thing. We will all be glorified through the very sanctifying work of the Spirit in us and the work of Christ in eternity. And so we all came in the same and we will all be the same. So then how could we live in pride? We have nothing to be proud of, but we have everything to be grateful for and thankful for. And humility causes us to see that, understand that, and always live with an attitude of gratefulness toward God for his work in our lives. Gentleness. He says, treating others with an attitude of gentleness to avoid harshness with others. See, if, if I can avoid being proud and I can remember that I am just like you and you are just like me, if we can always remember this and treat each other with humility, then guess what? My responses to you when things don't go well could be responses of gentleness, not of anger, not of frustration, not a lashing out of, but simply gentleness. Why? Because it maintains peace. It maintains unity. We aren't to lash out on others. It's, 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 it's like patience. Patience causes us to control our emotional state, which is the third virtue he gives us, which is patience. It says, it's a state of emotional calm and dealing with others when provoked in the face of misfortune and without complaint or irritation. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's probably one of the hardest ones for me is being patient because I tend to always think they should have it together just like I do. They should be able to do that just like I can. And if they can't do it and they can't live it and they can't, and they can't figure it out, then I don't have the patience to sit around and wait for them to figure it out. It's time to move on. And in the microwave culture we live in, which is the United States of America, that's the way we tend to be. But again, if God is patient with us, how could we not be patient with others? See, us losing our patience with others means we've lost sight of the fact that we're still a work in progress. It causes us to lose sight of the fact that we're still a work in progress and that we're needed and we're dependent of Christ and the very work of Christ in our lives. And then he gives us two applications in order to maintain this unity. He says, put up with each other with love. Put up with each other with love. And what does that mean? It means be patient in the sense of putting up with possible difficulties. Hey, I'll be the first one to tell you, there's going to be people within the body of Christ and in the church who are just going to rub you the wrong way. But never does that give us the right to treat them any different than we would want others to treat us. Because Christ Jesus treats us all exactly the same. 
one work, one love, one hope, one, fit, one salvation, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Savior doing all these things for us. And the last thing he says here in this area is wishing to maintain the bond of unity with the spirit of peace. Here's where it gets good. This means an intense effort to continue in the state of unity. Why do you think the Apostle Paul would say it's an intense effort to maintain unity? Here's a secret. Because it's hard. It's hard. Our sinfulness is selfish. Our sinfulness is prideful. And just like it is in you, it is in them. And I guarantee you, church, I guarantee you, you're going to be hurt by someone in the body of Christ. At some point, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. But it's not your right to then turn around and treat them the same way. It's your right to confront them and let them know, hey, you offended me and bring about the peace and maintain the peace. But too many times in our nation, in our culture, we live with this notion that our right is, is more important or as important as the gospel. We talk about our rights like if it was gospel truth. And it's not gospel truth. Let me give you an example of this. There was one Chinese farmer that Watchman Nee in his commentary on Ephesians talks about in the southern part of China, he had this rice farm up on the hill. And every day during the growing season, he had a watering wheel that he would go and he would turn and this wheel would, would cause the water to come up from the stream and go and irrigate his, his field of rice. Well, since he was up on the hill, his neighbor down below thought, you know what, it'd be easier for me if I just go poke holes in his wall and all of his water comes down into my field. And so here's this farmer going and turning the wheel and, and, and irrigating his field of rice. And here is this other neighbor who was stealing his water. After a certain amount of time of this happening, uh, the farmer who was a Christian believer goes to his church and says, my neighbor is stealing my water time and time again. What should I do? I know I have the right to bring, uh, uh, to, to, to bring a charge against them in the church very wisely, I want to read it because I don't want to misquote what they said. And the, the, the church said, we have to do more than what is right. We have to do more than what is right. He said, if we just try to do the right thing, surely we are poor Christians. And this rice farmer who was impacted by what the church said went back to his farm. And the next day he went out and instead of watering his field first... He watered his neighbor's two fields, and then he went and he watered his field. And he did this time and time again, and a few weeks after this had happened, and he continued to do this act, his neighbor, the thief, comes to him and says, what caused you to do this? And he explained to him the gospel of Christ and what the church told him. And through that type of attitude, his neighbor came to be a believer. You see... If we function in a this is right, we're being prideful. Humility says, let me serve you even in the face of an offense or the face of being wronged. So how are you treating others? How has past hurts and past offenses caused you to guard yourself against the church where you haven't opened up your heart, you haven't opened up your home, you won't even serve within the church because you're so hurt and offended by something else that has happened in life in some other place or some other church. How has those hurts now affected you today in your living with the body of Christ?
I will say this, that Christian living is not about you. It's about us for him. Humility, gentleness, patience. Let's keep moving. Let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. So now let me give you the second point. And that is this, because Jesus is building the church, he equips me as a participant in the unity of the body. Because Jesus is building the church, he equips me as a participant in the unity of the body. So chapter 4, verses 7 says this, But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that might fill all things. Might fill all things. I'm just going to pause here because there's a lot of misunderstanding with this, t- with this scripture. Many people read this as though it says that Jesus went into the lower regions of the earth, hell, to go bring back the captives who were there. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the very creator of this world who was sitting on his throne in heaven came to the lowest regions the earth, in order to fill it. And how did he do that? Let's go to John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So it was necessary that Jesus would, as- would descend to bring about the work of justification, which was his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection. And then he ascended on high. And when he ascended on high, he gave the Holy Spirit to the church. And now he dwells on the earth through the church. That's why uh, the Apostle Paul spoke in, pr- in a previous chapter that the entire church is being built up on the foundations laid by the prophets and apostles and the cornerstone that is Christ Jesus himself, brick by brick, person by person, we're being built up into the very temple of the presence of God here on earth, meaning the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. So Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, and that's the point of that text, not that he went to hell. That's not the point of this. The point is that he gave us the Holy Spirit. He fills all. For what? Ephesians chapter 4, 11, verses 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ with the result of purpose so that we may no longer be children tossed to and from or fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So now we get to the gifts. It says that Jesus gave apostles, prophets, okay? The apostle Paul said that the foundation has been laid. Apostles did their work. The prophets did their work, okay? Uh, an apostle was someone who could testify of the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ Jesus and teach the very message that Christ had entrusted to them. That's why we know po- apostles no longer exist. Now, the prophets were given in order to give revelation of this new grace, of this new teaching, of the new uh, covenant that God was making through the blood of Christ Jesus with us, the believers, and the church. They came and they gave that revelation. They laid the foundation. That's why there's no more need for a prophet to exist because we have the very revelation that's in Scripture. 
That's what Paul is saying. Now, the other three, the evangelist and the teacher and the shepherd, if you notice, they have something in, um, in common, even with the apostle and the prophets. And that is, we have the task of the interpretation of Scripture in order to communicate and teach the very body of Christ what the Word says. For what? Well, that's to equip you for the work of ministry. Too many times we have a false idea that ministry is the work of the, the, the pastor. It's the work of the shepherd. It's the work of the elder. But that's not the point. The point is the work of ministry is yours. Our job is to be sure you're prepared for that work of ministry to maintain the unity in the body of Christ and to take the gospel to the rest of those who need to come into faith. That's the point of a pastor. That's the point of a shepherd. That's the point of a teacher. It's the point of the elders. It's to lead you and shepherd you that you may be equipped. And one day I myself will stand before God and I will be responsible for what I taught and how I, how I taught the scriptures and how I held to the truth of scriptures. Which is why I take this work and job very serious. It's why we study it and study it. It's why we go to seminary to be trained, to learn how to handle the text. So that when I stand before God, I can say with a good conscience, I did my best. And your job as the church, you will stand before God and be responsible for what you did with these truths and what you were taught and what you were equipped with to do. And if you were people who isolated yourself from the rest of the body, well, then you're going to have to respond for that. But if you were the people who said, we are taking on this unity, we are living for one, we are living for one, we are living for one another, then you will stand before the Father and be rewarded for that very work that you carried through what you learned of the text and of the scriptures. So the point of us, the point of shepherds and teachers, the point of evangelists is not to do the work of ministry. It's to equip you for the work of ministry through the proper teaching of Scripture. And church, that's why it's so important. Who are you listening to? Who are you following? If all you want to hear is someone pat you on the back, go to a motivational school. Go somewhere else. Because the Word of God is convicting. Can I just be honest with you? last eight years God has changed my heart through conviction from the very word it hurts but it's beautiful because my father's not done with me because I can see the work that my savior said when I begin I will perfect and unfortunately that means I have to come face to face with the ugliness and sin that's within my heart that is what the gospel does. If the gospel doesn't make you think you need a savior, then it's the wrong gospel. Run, go and listen to someone else because the gospel better convict us. That's not to condemn us. It's to convict us, to draw us closer to the father. The point of condemnation is to separate us from the father. But the point of the conviction of the Holy Spirit is to draw us nearer to the very heart of the father church, it's important who you're listening to. It's important what you're following. The goal of God is not that you would live your best life now. The goal of God is that you would be prepared now to live your best life then. And that comes with conviction, sanctification, 
And it comes with his body and not without. Let's keep reading. Let's finish this. Let's go back to verse 14. And then we'll, we'll move forward from there. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed and fro, fro the waves by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Go ahead and go to the next verses, please. Rather, here's what we are to do. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, that's you and I, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? In love. Without love, there is no truth. Without love, there is no truth. But without truth, there is no love. Without truth, there's no love. And the very truth of the word of God and the gospel of Christ draws us to want to live out our faith together in the body, laying down ourselves, not being egotistical, not being prideful, but thinking of the rest of us. Because it says here that when each of us are working properly, the body is being built up. And when the body is being built up, Jesus Christ is being glorified. Jesus prayed that, that, that through our unity, the world would know that you, Father, have sent me through your unity, through your love for one another. But when there's division and there's discord and there's anger and resentment, when there's criticism for the point of criticism, it doesn't glorify the Father. And it doesn't let the world know that Jesus was sent by him. And why was he sent? He was sent so that his very physical body could be broken, torn apart, hung from a cross, so that these broken people could be united and be one body together. If he was willing to do that, then I'm willing to lay down my rights. I'm willing to lay down my tradition. I'm willing to lay down my thoughts and my opinions. And I'm just willing to say, here I am. Allow me to live in unity with your church. Let us be a church that communicates Christ. Let us be a church that lives in unity, who speaks truth and love to one another and doesn't tear each other down. In the moment of discord, let it be that we have enough faith in God and his word and enough guts to go and confront one another because that brings about unity. Not to hold on to things. And let it be that we submit to the very teaching of the word that it can change our lives and cause us to be the very glory of Christ here in Laredo. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness. We thank you that in you we find love, we find a perfect love. In you, we find mercy and grace. And through that mercy and grace, we should live that out in our lives with others. Father, I pray for those who have come in hurt from other churches and other places. Father, and I just pray that you would, you would help mend their hearts. But God, that that wouldn't keep them away from the blessing of serving your church and being a part of a body. Within this blessing and this unity. And God, I pray that 
that we could show Laredo that you sent your son Jesus because of the unity that exists between in us. We pray this in his name.